Well, let's look at uh, Psalm 141. The, um, the title of the psalm is simply uh, a psalm of David. Uh, that's all we're told. We know it's Davidic, but we don't uh, know from the title the circumstances of its writing. But there is a long-standing rabbinic tradition that this particular psalm was written as a result of David's uh, close encounter with Saul in the cave, the uh, incident that we talked about uh, last week when Saul crept into that uh, cave where David and his 600 were hiding back in the darkness of that uh, that cavern, where David had an opportunity to uh, slay Saul and uh, ended up uh, in humiliating him, and then uh, David's conscience smote him because he had humbled the anointed one of the Lord. And when he was rebuked by his men for failing to take uh, Saul's life, uh, he resisted that uh, counsel, simply uh, refused to lift his hand against the Lord's anointed, as he put it. I think it was probably that the, that evening, the evening of that uh, very day, that David uh, wrote this uh, this psalm. Uh, this song has long been associated uh, in the church with evening worship. If you have a New American Standard Bible, the title even indicates an evening song. And in my mind, I picture David uh, going out of the mouth of the cave that evening when everyone else was bedded down. and Sitting uh, there in the darkness, listening to the sounds of the desert and looking out over that uh, desolate, moonlit, uh, landscape, and beginning to uh, pin the words of this of this song. I think he longed to be at the sanctuary in Nob. We'll look at the psalm in a minute, and I, I think you'll pick up some suggestions of that uh, longing. Uh, David loved to go there and worship, but he was far removed from Nob. There's no opportunity for him to uh, to worship there. But he remembered the evening sacrifice and the. Uh, sweet smell of the incense, and just that uh, ambient sense of the presence of the Lord that was there in that uh, sanctuary. And so what David did in the mouth of that cave is recreate that sanctuary in his, in his soul. Any place will do for the worship of God. Uh, George MacDonald describes the universe as his closet with shut door. I've always liked that phrase. Because wherever we are, in our kitchen or in our shop, in the laundry room, in the locker room, the classroom, wherever we are, uh, is a fit place for worship. And that's what David does on this on this occasion. And I want to read the entire psalm. It's uh, very short. And then come back and just make a few uh, comments about it. O Lord, I call to you, come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil, to take part in wicked deeds with men who are evildoers. Let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. 
it is kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Yet my prayer is ever against the deeds of evildoers. Their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs, and the wicked will learn that my words were well-spoken, or simply pleasant is the term. My words were pleasant. They will say, as one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. It's typical oriental hyperbole describing the feelings of those that uh, have been eventually overthrown and cast down by God as though a plow had uh, gone through their grave and scattered their uh, their bones. You'll notice that the uh, New International Version uh, inserts, they will say in that phrase, and I think that's uh, correct. These are the words of those that God overthrows, Saul and his counselors, those are, that are associated with him. They will say, as one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. But, David says, My eyes are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me, from the traps set by evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in in safety. David prays, uh, come quickly, uh, literally hurry up, uh, get a move on. Uh, waiting is uh, is hard. None of us like to wait. I don't like the long lines at uh, supermarket uh, checkout counters. I don't like the traffic snarls around the mall and and uh, on Fairview. I don't like the lines at the bank. I don't like to wait at a doctor's office. It's hard to wait. I like for things to uh, to move a little faster. And then there are those big waits, the wait that those that are unemployed experience while they're waiting for a job. Some of you find yourself uh, in those circumstances this morning. There's that long, seemingly interminable wait that single people have to get married. There's that waiting for peace that the emotionally scarred uh, experience. There's the waiting for relief or redemption or reconciliation in an unhappy marriage. Uh, There's the waiting of long, uh, protracted illnesses that seem to go on and on forever. Those are the big waits. Those are the ones that that wear us down and, and wear us out. And David was uh, was waiting. He was waiting for God to put him on the throne. God had promised that someday he would ascend to the throne of Israel. And yet David had spent uh, long, weary months waiting, waiting, waiting for God to, to come through. There's a fundamental truth that's taught all the way through Scripture, and it may surprise you to hear this, but the it is far more important what God does to you and through you through the waiting Uh, That's far more important than the thing you're waiting for. We think the important thing is the job, the money, the reconciliation, but it's far more important what God is doing in your soul through those long, long months and years of, of waiting. Waiting is a profound teacher.
It's a grand tutor. Teaches us uh, maturity, goodness, and genuine spirituality. Draws us closer to the Lord. Makes us uh, rely more and more upon Him. It's an essential part of the growing up uh, process. F.B. Meyer said, What a chapter might be written of God's delays. It is the mystery of educating human spirits to the finest temper of which they are capable. What searchings of the heart, what analyzings of motives, what testings of the word of God, what upliftings of the soul. All these are associated with those weary days of waiting which are nevertheless big with with spiritual destiny. Now David prays that God would hurry up, and it's all right to, to make that request because none of us like to wait. But we need to realize that the waiting is part of the shaping and the molding process that that God is using. Waiting is God's fingers on us. Someone has said, God never hurries and he never tarries. He just does what he's always determined to do. And so it is with us. David said in one of his psalms, I wait and wait and wait on the Lord. And he lifted my my feet out of the miry pit. You have to wait for him to, to respond, to act. Now, what we see in this uh, poem, I believe, is the wisdom of waiting. These are the things that David learned as a result of uh, the waiting game. The first thing that he learned that I see in verses uh, 3 and 4 is uh, the need to resist the counsel of the ungodly. It always seems that when uh, God delays, somebody has some advice that will help us move things along. And very often it sounds like uh, sound advice. Sounds credible. Sounds believable. After all, it seems foolish sometimes to do nothing. Uh, Just pray. There ought to be something we can do to accelerate the process. Get things moving a little little quicker. And uh, we hear that counsel, but sometimes the counsel is... uh, is contrary to the word of God. The counsel that David was hearing from his men was to take Saul out, and that was contrary to God's word. As I pointed out last week in Deuteronomy 17, that that revelation of the unique place of the king in, in the scheme of things in Israel was there in Deuteronomy, and David knew it, was well aware of God's will. And, and the counsel of his men went contrary to that uh, that revelation. Sounded good. You know, they killed Saul, and then they could go home to their wives and children. And David would ascend to the throne. And everything would be fine. But uh, David prays that he'll resist that counsel. Verse 3, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil, to take part in wicked deeds with men who are evildoers. These, these were... Men within the 600 who had not yet grown up, who didn't really believe that God's processes were adequate to deal with, with David's suffering. And he prays that he'll not take part in their evil deeds with men who are evildoers. Let me not eat of their delicacies. Revenge is sweet, I said last week, except when it isn't. Revenge always leaves a bad taste in our mouth. And yet uh, their counsel sounded 
so good. He says, don't uh, let me eat their, their delicacies. David's prayer here is the counterpart of our Lord's prayer. Lead me not into temptation. There are certain situations where the counsel people give us is so plausible that we are tempted almost beyond the point of endurance. Particularly when it seems that God is doing nothing. He seems to be silent and unconcerned, indifferent to our needs. And we desperately want something to happen. Like Abraham, Isaac. God had promised that he would give Abraham a son. And through that son he would save the world. And so Abraham just decided to move the process on a little faster. Unwilling to wait. Been waiting for a long time for God to come through. And so he he acted... uh, in accord with the counsel that Sarah gave him. And he took uh, his handmaiden, uh, Hagar, as his wife. And he fathered a son, Ishmael, who became a thorn in, in his side to the end of his days. Created a son of the flesh. So David says, don't, don't let my heart be drawn to what's evil. Don't let me listen to the counsel of the ungodly. Don't let me be seduced by what seems to be the wise counsel of those that seem to care about about me. They love me, my friends. But if it's contrary to the word of God, then it's wrong. So David says, don't let my heart be drawn to it. And he says, set a, set a guard over my mouth. It's from the heart that the issues of life proceed. We have to deal with the issue in the heart. But the problem is, very often is uh, if the heart's not dealt with and the mouth is inclined to uh, work when it should not. David says, set a guard over my, uh, my mouth and um, keep watch over the door of, of my lips. As my friend Bob Smith used to used to say that when when we're in these situations uh, that we're under pressure, he says keep keep your words soft because you may have to eat them someday. Uh, it's good advice. Peter tells us that when Jesus was uh, uh, was under duress, he didn't retaliate. When his detractors hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We've all been in situations where we've been verbally attacked, and the thing seems like the thing to do is to respond in kind. Saul was slandering David. It would have been very easy for David to slander Saul in in return. Uh, The argument I uh, read about once between uh, husband and wife, a man lost his temper and Shouted at his wife, you're nothing but a rag and a bone and a hank of hair. And she shouted back, yeah, and you're a brag and a groan and a tank of air. Uh, that's the kind of retaliation, you see, that, that David is concerned about. Words have no power to protect us. Do you realize that? Paul says uh, in, in his letter to the Corinthians, the kingdom of God does not come through words but through power. We're inclined to think that our words are what affect change. But Paul says words have no power. The kingdom of God does not come through words. It comes through power. That is the secret, quiet working of of God in our lives and in the lives of others. So David prays, zip my lip. Help me to be quiet in those times when I want to 
want to retaliate. George MacDonald writes, The winds of words may toss my heart, but what is that to me? Tis but a surface storm. Thou art my deep, still resting sea. Down in our heart of hearts, even though we can be hurt by other people's words, uh, there can be a a peace that keeps us from responding in, in kind. So we pray in those times when we're uh, waiting and we feel like God is not moving fast enough. Uh, don't let my heart be drawn to what is evil and watch the door of my lips. Then he prays, uh, let me hear what the righteous have to say. Do you understand how he's arguing? Don't let me listen to the ungodly and their counsel, but let me listen to the righteous and what they have to say. This is uh, the centerpiece, I believe, of this of this whole psalm. Uh, in most of the translations, in fact, on all of the translations, the last line should be, uh, is contained in verse 5. The last line should be in actually a part of verse 6. Verse 5 reads, Let a righteous man strike me. It is kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Don't let me listen to the ungodly. Teach me to listen to those that are truly righteous. The word that's translated strike me is a strong word. The noun form of that verb is the word that's translated hammer in the Old Testament. It's the word that's used of jails. Uh, Fatal mallet, the one that she used to kill Sisera, the uh, Canaanite uh, king. Uh, Hammer me, David says, but do it with kindness. (laughs) Uh, The NIV suggests that it is kindness to hammer me, but actually the text just reads, hammer me with kindness. Cameron Townsend, the founder of... uh, of uh, Wycliffe translators uh, used to say, hit people hard, God's people will bounce. Hit me hard, David says. But uh, do it with kindness. David knows he needs uh, correction, and sometimes that correction uh, has to be stern, straightforward. Sin is elusive, and we all have our... Uh, loopholes and fudge factors and blind spots, and we don't always uh, see the sin in our lives. We need someone who really loves us to step into our lives and confront us. If we love one another, we'll bring sin into the light rather than stand by while it, it works its mischief on us. Proverbs says, a faithful man will wound if he must. You know, my saying that I've often repeated here, Ambrose Pierce's statement, uh, a good friend will stab you in the front. So we need. We need to hear from others. Someone to objectify our sin. Someone that will uh, show us what we're doing because we're not always uh, aware of our sin. Uh, It's painful to confront others and it's painful to be confronted, but it's the loving and, and friendly thing to do. Uh, David does have some advice for those that hammer on us. He says, please do it in kindness. A spoonful of sugar makes the uh, medicine go down. It's hard to receive counsel when it's harsh, when people are impatient or when they're haughty, and condescending. 
much easier uh, to take when people step into our lives with, with real love and compassion. Do it gently. Uh, the word that David uses here for loving kindness is a word that used, was used throughout the ancient world for a love that grows out of deep affection rather than duty. It's a loyal love. In fact, that old word loving kindness is probably the best uh, best meaning of all. It's the way the Lord himself, uh, it's the way the Lord thinks of himself, describes himself. Uh, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, that's the word, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness, that's Exodus 34, 6 and 7. That's a verse that David loved. He, he quotes it verbatim two different times in uh, in the Psalms, Psalm 86, 15, Psalm 103, 8. In other words, uh, we should be as kind as God is when we confront others. Straightforward and factual. Uh, dealing with sin, not, not the things that annoy us, but patterns of sin that we see in other people's lives. Obvious uh, breaches of the covenant. Refusal to disobey clear revelations of the scripture. We need to move into other people's lives and, and confront them. <clears throat> Some of you that were alive in the 60s <clears throat> remember Fritz Perl and his uh, misty-eyed sentimental comment, you know, you do your thing and I do my thing and if we should happen to meet, isn't it beautiful? And it's a bunch of nonsense. The world says live and let live, but there's no life and there's no love in that philosophy, none whatever. If you see your friend's house on fire, it's not loving to just pass by and say, oh, well, live and and let live. You're going to dash in, perhaps a danger to you know, possibility of endangering your own life to rescue them. That's that's what this is all about. Sometimes we need to be rescued, and if we really love one another, we'll do it. Now, this is not a call to be sin busters. You know, to wear a t-shirt, one of those red things with a sin a red line through. But it is a call to take seriously repeated acts of sin in the lives of others. And if we really love them, we'll, we'll confront them. Paul says in Galatians 6.1, You see your brother overtaken in a fault. You who are spiritual. Now, this is not some special plane of piety. It's just those that are walking in the Spirit. He defines what it means to be spiritual in chapter 5. Walking in the Spirit. Those of you that are walking in dependence upon the Spirit, restore such a one. Uses a word that's uh, actually it's a piece of medical terminology. It's, it was used of setting bones that are broken. Restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, gentleness, considering yourself, lest you too be tempted. See, the slope is never this way. I, I may be on the receiving end next, and so we need to go with a spirit of humility, with the attitude. I, I've got areas of my life I need to deal with too, and I understand. But you know, this this is an issue that I would like to have you take seriously. Gently and with humility. Tremendous wisdom and humility and, and love when it's offered in, uh, in that way. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, If your brother sins, reprove him. Again, strong word, correct him. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. 
context of that statement is the story of the little lamb that wanders away and the shepherd leaves the 99 that are in the flock to go rescue the one because, and this is the bottom line of that little story, God is not willing that any should perish. So we see a brother, and we're not talking about non-Christians here. It's not our position to judge non-Christians and what they do. That's God's business. It's our responsibility to go after our brother or our sister who's uh, resisting the will of God. David says, let the righteous man strike me. Uh, Let him do it in kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil on my head. You may remember the phrase in in the 23rd Psalm, he anoints my head with oil. Anointing one's head with oil was a sign of uh, love and hospitality, lavish love. Just had this compounded uh, this uh, perf- uh, aromatic oil out of various spices and, and uh, other aromas, and they would put it in a little alabaster uh, vase and seal it up, and then they would break the vase over, not on the head, but they'd break the vase and pour the uh, the oil on the person's head, and uh, it was a it was a show of love. It would have that effect on me. May I see it as an act of love? And not as an act of, uh, of rejection. It is interesting, however, that the idiom that follows, let not my head reject it, which is the way it's translated, is literally, don't let it break my head. Now, I don't know exactly what the idiom means. It's like one of our English idioms that uh, inexplicable to anyone on the outside. But uh, basically, what it, it has the idea of, of not, not rejecting this uh, counsel. Thing. So God has a word for, for those that hammer, do it. Kindly, he says, do it in love, do it humbly. But he also has a word for those that are hammered. Accept it. See it for uh, for what it for what it is. It's a great act of love. Jesus said, "Agree with your adversary quickly." Sometimes our adversary uh, uh, is the brother who comes and who points out an issue in our life that we need to deal with. David. Uh, Jesus said, agree with him, agree with her, accept it. See it as an act of lavish love and hospitality, a pouring out of love on my head. Don't don't reject it. Hear what people have to say to you. The third step in the process, again, as I see uh, the order of events, he prays that he won't listen to those that are giving him ungodly counsel, but he will listen to those that are directing him in in the in the right way. Then he prays against evildoers. 5D through 7. Yet my prayers ever against the deeds of, of evildoers. Their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs and the wicked will learn that my words were were pleasant. That idea of the rulers being thrown down again is just is just Semitic hyperbole. It's, when, when they fall, when, they, when, when God casts them down, when they're humiliated, when they come to their senses, when they're broken by their sin. and Like, like Saul, remember our story last week, I have played the fool. He came to the end of himself. When, when they fall, when disaster strikes them, in whatever way God deals with them, either through the breaking of their hearts or the breaking of their, of their bones. When they come to that point, they will say, your words were pleasant. Remember David's words to Saul? He pled for reconciliation. He pled his innocence. His words were sweet. They were soft. They were kind. 
What David says is that when they're overthrown, may, may they recall that my words were pleasant. I did not retaliate. I did not fight fire with fire. I did not abuse them when I was abused. My words were kind. And they were soft. And they were pleasant. But David does not overlook their sin. Saul was wrong. He was an ungodly man. He was opposing God's will. So David prays against Saul and his counselors. You see. That was his... Uh, place of refuge, his defense, ran to God. When people turn on us, the first step is to turn to God, not turn on them. Turn to God. Pray for them, as Jesus said. Pray for our enemies, those that despitefully use us, but also pray against them. Pray that God will become their enemy. Oppose them in their evil because evil destroys us. That's that's what, you know, that's the the uh, philosophy that's behind these so-called imprecatory psalms throughout the Psalter, these these uh, supposedly non-Christian prayers, as they're sometimes described, or David prays down wrath on his enemies. You find the same thing in the New Testament, as I pointed out before. David, uh, our Lord, driving the, the money changers out of the temple is an example of God's wrath being visited on those that that are frustrating God's effort to bring salvation to uh, to the world. So we should pray against those that uh, that are perpetrating uh, evil, bringing evil onto the world, uh, knowing that God is a God of power and authority. The earthquakes in, in, in Los Angeles reminded me of a story I heard years ago about a uh, from a missionary in Guatemala, a uh, Guatemalan Indian, who went through that terrible earthquake of some years uh, there and and who seemed to continue to walk in peace to, despite the aftershocks and the terrible devastation of that earthquake. And the missionary asked him how he was able to do that. He said, well, he said, uh, he said, it comforts me to know that my God is able to shake the earth. That's, that's what... Uh, that's what the book of Hebrews tells us, that God is able to shake the earth. I do not believe that God is directly responsible for all the hurt and pain that is a result of these shakings. But he is able to shake the earth, and he is able to set things right. And uh, that's David's uh, confidence. He prays against those that are doing evil. And they will say... At some point, as one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth uh, of the grave. But my eyes are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me, from the traps set by evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. So David prays that uh, he'll not listen to ungodly counsel. He prays that he will listen to godly counsel. He prays against evildoers. And then he uh, puts himself in in God's hands. My eyes are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. That's trust. It's confidence. Faith is not trumped up self-confidence. It's... Uh, it's the courage to believe that God is able to do what he's promised uh, to do. He's the sovereign Lord. 
immensely powerful. Ruler of the universe, the one that, uh, that keeps the stars in, in orbit. The one who is never himself shaken, and we find our, our security in him. We just have to put ourselves in, in his hands. I remember reading a story of a little, little girl, a little five-year-old girl that was praying one night. Her mother was uh, overheard her prayers, and it was a stormy night, and it was beginning to lightning and thunder in the distance. The little girl was terrified of storms, and so she prayed that night, please, Lord, don't let it lightning and don't let it thunder. And she prayed that prayer several times, and the thunder and the lightning continued, began to draw closer, and she Her mother then overheard her say, Dear Lord, I've thought it over, and you can do what you want. (laughs) And uh, that's where we are in the end. Lord, uh, help me. Lord, hurry. Lord, get me out of this mess. Lord, get this person off my back. Lord, get me out of this difficult uh, relationship. Lord, deliver me from this uh, terrible illness. Lord, take this uh, painful situation out of my life. Hurry up. Uh, You're taking too long. It's all right to pray those prayers, but in the end, when we think it over, we say, uh, Lord, I give you the right to do as you please because I trust you, because I love you, and because I know that you love me. Now, this morning, we're going to gather around the Lord's table again to uh, share this uh, time of fellowship with him, to eat and, and drink with him. It's the time that we remember his death. David said, my eyes are on you. And the thing we need to put our eyes upon in these times of deep distress is is the cross. Our Lord hanging on the cross. There's no greater demonstration of his love. Every time you think God doesn't understand what you're going through, just remember the cross. Remember what he endured. It was not just the pain of the hours that he hung there, but the weight of the the infinite weight of the burden of our sin which he was bearing at that point and the terrible withdrawal of the father the pain of of homesickness and loneliness that washed over him in that moment he there is no experience for which you and I go through that he's not experienced and he was where we are he had to wait on the lord to deliver him from that painful experience. So he understands. And he did it because he cares. If you ever have any doubt that the Lord loves you and cares about you, then just put your eyes on the cross. He knows. He cares. Let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts for this time. Jesus said, uh, agree with your adversary quickly, and perhaps this morning your adversary is your conscience, a conscience that's informed by the Word of God. Sometimes our consciences are misdirected. They, they need to be shaped and formed by God's Word. But uh, if you're aware this morning of um, an issue in your life that's clearly contrary to the will of God, and that that issue becomes your uh, the messenger of God to your own soul, your adversary warning you. Would you listen to that voice? Would you confess that sin? It may be very hard to give that up because 
then your only refuge will be God himself. There will be nothing else to which you can cling. It may be giving up a relationship that you know is wrong. And to give it up means uh, lonely nights, days without companionship, help. Whatever that issue is, would you uh, <clears throat> take a look at the cross, remember what your Lord went through for you, and, and give it up to him. Lord, we would pray with David, cleanse our hearts, guard our, our thoughts, conform our mind, emotions, and will to your desires this morning. Help us to see that your, your will for us is, is good, pleasant. That the alternative is a, is deep unhappiness and frustration, boredom, a life of, uh, of loss. And as we share this table with you this morning, as we eat this bread and drink this cup and remember your death, we pray that, uh, that death would become very meaningful to us today. Rid our minds of all the things that preoccupy us, the thoughts of uh, what might be coming the rest of the day or tomorrow throughout the rest of the week and help us to focus our attention on you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.